Welcome to the Hunt Harder Podcast, where we will give you the strategies, tools, and tactics to be the best hunter you can be. Now let's get this started. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. After uh, a few months here of not having a podcast for you, uh, I decided to take a little bit of a break from the interwebs and uh, social media for a variety of reasons. But anyway, we're back and uh, we have a gentleman on named Clint Whiting. Uh, Clint, um, you'll you'll realize early in the episode, he's, he's a very uh, humble guy. Um, he's very extremely nice, uh, extremely knowledgeable about both fitness and hunting. And, uh, but don't let that fool you. Clint is a, you know, after digging a little bit more and um, asking some of his friends some questions, the dude's a straight savage uh, when it comes to hunting. He's, uh, and I, I've got to kind of dig a little bit more into his, some of his photos on, uh, on his social media uh, pages and stuff like that. The dude is, is very accomplished when it comes to, to elk hunting, deer hunting, western hunting, and all sorts of hunting all over the, it looks like all over the country. So anyway, uh, uh, so knowing that you guys aren't going to want to miss this, you're going to want to listen to the entire episode. Uh, we did run into some, t- uh, some technical difficulties in there. So it is a little choppy in pieces, but, um, you guys are really going to enjoy it. We dive into a lot of different subjects. Uh, now Clint, uh, along with being an accomplished hunter, uh, he actually, I didn't know, but he's, he's been a coach, uh, in, in a variety of capacities with fitness. And so that, that kind of tied really well into, uh, the theme of our podcast, which is, uh, uh, at least for the moment, it's it's very much fitness oriented and, and things like that. So, anyway, uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. We also did dive into uh, a lot of other topics besides fitness and just hunting. Uh, some strategies as far as uh, how to work uh, a hunt around your you know if you have a family or family schedule and if you have kids and just some things to to think about when uh, when you're planning a hunt and things like that. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Take care. Clint, you there? Randall, hey buddy. Hey, how you doing, man? You know, it's uh, it's been a day already. Uh, we got I don't know six six to eight inches of snow, and uh, our plow truck went down. I plow for the for the neighborhood around here, and <laughs> yeah, you know, man, got to bring my son to daycare this morning. I got people <laughs> stuck stuck in the snow around here. It's it's yeah. always an adventure. <laughs> well. Hey, at least we're going to be talking about hunting now, so maybe this yeah. will help you out. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Good well, God. Cool. cool, man. Well, where do you where do you live? So I'm in Divide. I'm an hour oh. west of Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. I know where that's at for sure. You guys probably typically get a little bit more snow than everywhere else, don't you? We do, yeah, and it hangs around a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, man, I really appreciate it, Sooth. Uh, yeah. you know, for the, for the listeners, you know, this is the first time Clinton I've actually spoken. And, uh, so you were, uh, referred to me by Max Layton. Uh, I'm not sure how you guys are, uh, connected, but, uh, he's like, yeah, you gotta get Clint on. He was actually, you're actually the first person who talked, uh, told me to get on. So, yeah, uh, Max is my buddy. We, uh, spent a lot of time in the woods and it's always a riot with him. Yeah, he's got a he's got a pretty cool personality. Actually, the the podcast that I did with him uh, was the first time I spoke with him too, 
yeah and, uh, yeah I, I i can't wait to to actually if, whenever we can get out in the woods with him because he seems like a lot of fun so oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> but sure. uh anyway i'm not sure if you've had a, a chance to listen to the podcast but basically uh this this podcast is, is uh, a buddy of mine of you know, we saw kind of a need of strength and conditioning professionals in the hunting space. You know, I've been I've been hunting most of my life, and you know, I guess uh, it's it's been kind of an obsession at at times, probably a little bit too much of a an obsession with it at times. But you know, we've we've been doing me and my, uh, a guy named Mike. Uh, we've been you know strength and conditioning. All right, let's try that again. Oh yeah, I think I think I I don't know. It might be. Um. Anyway, so we're, we're experiencing uh, some technical difficulties here. So, um, so uh, I think I I think I stopped uh, strength and conditioning. Up. Yeah, there you go. So uh, basically, what we're trying to do is we've seen a need uh, in the hunting space for uh, quality uh, strength and conditioning information, and because right now, you know, honey, the hunting space is kind of where you know football was back in the eighties. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, and so college football was kind of actually specifically Nebraska, I believe was the, the first place somebody actually had a professional strength conditioning coach. And so, and then, uh, you know, after that, other, other sports kind of followed suit once they saw the, the benefits of, uh, you know, a performance program. So, and even, even strength and conditioning itself has evolved a lot. I mean, gosh, a lot since then, but, uh, anyway, so, uh, we're, we're basically trying, we're, you know, I guess in a way trying to be kind of the, the, I don't know if we're, depends on how we evolve this, but uh, more of a, a, a go-to source for quality information because there is a lot of noise out there with, you know, diets and, you know, training methodologies and things like that. So uh, my, my uh, Mike and I, we've decided, all right, let's just, let's try to, let's try to get some, you know, quality information out there to the hunters that um, we feel like uh, are, are, you know, basically our brothers and our sisters as well out there in the hunting space that uh, are looking for quality information and maybe trying to help people have a little bit more of a BS filter and, and kind of filter through some, through, uh, through, through some things. But um, actually, you know, I did a little bit of research on you and I, you know, mostly through social media and I noticed that you, you do have some kind of a fitness background. Um, and so basically what, what, if you wouldn't mind kind of take our less listeners through your, maybe start with your hunting journey first and then, and kind of tie that into your fitness journey and, and maybe talk about how your, your fitness, uh, has, uh, I guess, connected your fitness with your, your hunting experience. Okay. Okay. So it, it all ties in, um, you know, I grew up hunting in uh, down south. I'm from from New Orleans originally, and and grew up hunting whitetails in Alabama. Uh, oh, nice! My uncle got me into the into the outdoors, and I'm forever grateful for that. And uh, you know that that grew into coming out west here when I was 18. I uh, that was my first elk hunt, first time out west uh, hunting with him, and and I've I've just I've, I've been hooked ever since then. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 40 this year and, uh, every year it's, um, it's a grind. It's a passion of mine that, that I try to improve on every single year. And, um, I've used, I've used my fitness to, to help me, you know, stay out there and, um, stay healthy because most of the areas that I hunt are nowhere near any roads. 
So um, you're going to have to you're going to have to pack that animal out, and that that takes a lot of effort. And um, until until someone does it, they don't realize what it's like to um, haul a hundred pounds worth of worth of meat on your back for four or five miles. And um, you know, my fitness background, I I played collegiate baseball and finished that up, moved into CrossFit. I was a CrossFit coach and competed, uh, on the, on the high levels there, went to regionals and I've since dialed that back down now for longevity, um, range of motion, good movement and preparing, you know, just to be able to backpack and, and carry myself and, and pack an animal out when that time comes. So, uh, now we, we live here in Colorado. We've lived here for quite some time living at, uh, 9,400 feet. Uh, so the elevation is always a challenge. Um, we have, my wife and I have a home gym here just simply because we live out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, we're very consistent with that. You know, myself, I, I try to work out three to five, days a week and, uh, shoot my bow almost every day. So, um, it's a, it's a yearly regimen. I, I usually shoot in my basement throughout the winter just cause it's easier to just pick up the bow and, and shoot a few ends and be done with it rather than having to deal with, uh, the weather and everything outside. So. Gotcha. It, well, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I had no idea that you, you know, I, I saw some, uh, pictures of, some uh some crossfit stuff actually i think was that the regionals i think one of the pictures was that i actually attended one of that those regionals i think yeah um i think it was, was it 2014 the one that was in castle rock or gosh i don't man. know kind of, it, i don't know that? i don't know what year it was um we w- one of the regionals was in san antonio i believe okay um but yeah it it uh it was a lot of fun and you know, you learn a lot of, uh, you learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable with, with that and, um, pushing, pushing the envelope of, of comfort and fitness and, and all of those things. And that, that really has, has helped me, um, not only working out by myself here, but just being able to go the distance in, in, in the woods, you know, because, I, I average six to 10 miles a day, usually every day in September. And, uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, by the end of September, I'm pretty, pretty burnt out and usually 15 or 20 pounds light, but, uh, that's, that's what it takes to, to be successful, uh, during archery season, at least in my case. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually not lucky enough to, run into the elk the first day of the season so right right you know well and, you know yeah so let's uh let's kind of unpack some of that real quick so i you know i've i've competed and off and on in crossfit for gosh i think uh so one of the actually one of the regionals i i didn't i wasn't competing in it but one of my friends pat burke um i grew up with down in southern Col- in florence colorado uh-huh. uh, he actually was at that competition and i think he, he took like first or second or something like that or maybe third i don't know anyway he's he's been at the games like i think four or five times and um anyway so i was there watching him 
And uh, that was kind of, I guess, you know, I'd been kind of off doing CrossFit off and on for a couple of years at that point. And, you know, kind of started kind of experimenting with some of the the, the things that they had and workouts and, and doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, after I already been a you know, strength conditioning coach for a handful of years before that, I started seeing the benefits of, of what a lot of that methodology could to do in my own, not just with hunting, but a lot of the things that I do as a coach. Sure. Um, and so talk about how, I guess, I guess, um, how that methodology or what, I guess, what is your methodology? Is it, is it, I know it's, if it comes from CrossFit or, you know, kind of explain your, if you have some kind of a, a, a philosophy as far as fitness goes and maybe how that specifically, more specifically ties that into hunting. Well, I don't know if it's so much my philosophy or just the, the, uh, the demands of oxygen here at this elevation, but, um, you know, I, I do a lot of interval movement. Uh, so on the minute, every minute, uh, every two minutes, a lot of core, a lot of legs, um, those, those sorts of things to really prepare for, for hunting season. Um, you know, living up here, I, it, it'd be like sprinting up a mountain nonstop for, for a mile, right. it's just not going to happen. Right. right? Um, right. so I, I take that intensity in, in small intervals, which, which helps me with my recovery and being able to increase my, my VO2 max and, and being able to recover quickly. So I like to, I like to sort of simulate those, that, that physical exertion similar to trying to get up to that ridge line before dark or, or, you know, trying to catch up to a herd of elk or whatever the case may be. Um, you're not going to just simply sprint straight up the mountain nonstop. You have to go, you know, you go and stop, you take a quick breather and then you keep going and you, and you keep going and you keep going. And right. my thoughts are being able to recover quickly and still be able to maintain your composure uh, under stress, because a lot of times you're having to shoot under stress with a backpack on your back or, you know, multiple mm -hmm. situations here. Um, and, and having that ability to get your heart rate down as fast as possible is important to me. So mm -hmm. when you, when you think about that recovery time and what, it, what it, how long it takes to to get that heart rate down, that, that can vary greatly depending on the physical condition that you're in. And mm -hmm. that, that's not saying that someone that isn't in shape can't, can't do those things, but it's already hard enough as it is hunting public ground and spiking out and carrying your camp around things like that. So, you know, if I can, if I can stay healthy and, and help myself, in the off season to make those things a little bit easier when the time comes, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, the type of it's what it sounds like the type of hunting that you mostly do is in the mountains on public land. And so I, I explain, you know, so one of the things that, you know, I, I think I noticed first with CrossFit was, you know, we're, we're doing interval type, you know, this is a pretty simple way to put it, but you know, let's just call it interval type mm -hmm. workouts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I think was new to a lot of people then is, all right, you know, typically interval training before CrossFit was running, you know, 
on a you know or getting on a bike i mean those were really the, the main two or sprinting yep. and you know the other you know what what crossfit brought was all right now we're going to basically choose any possible movement yeah. that we can perform and th- and at different loads and you know we're we're going to do olympic lifting certain types of gymnastics body weight movements yep. you know and you know th- those are the, the that's the thing that really kind of one of the things that drew me into it was all right huh interesting i can do burpees you know squats you know, my, whatever, my favorite Olympic lifts, power clean snatches, uh, my favorite kettlebell movements. And now I'm getting a little bit more variety. And I think a lot of times you get, you can be a lot more specific, obviously to the muscle groups and, and energy systems in your body that you would be when you're hunting. And like you just said, interval training, uh, really any kind of interval training is going to, it's going to train your body and to adapt to the stimulus of recovery. Right. So depending on what your interval ratios are, um, that, that, that rest in between, and then going hard again, your body is essentially, or eventually is going to adapt to that stimulus. And which is, uh, I I think really, and especially if you're crunched for time and you can't do this long duration aerobic work for hours on end, um, interval training really, you know, supplies you with a, a, a better effect for a shorter amount of time and recovery and everything. It really does. Um, and, and some days, you know, not counting just warming up and things like that. Some days my, my workout is 12 to 15 minutes and that's all I need for the day. You know, um, right. that 12 to 15 minutes is, is going to be painful at times, but you know, like you said, that stimulus and, and, and getting used to that uh, really helps because, you know, when you're in the mountains at elevation and carrying weight around and things like that, if you're not used to that type of stimulus, then it's, it's going to be harder for you to recover. And, and by day three, some folks don't even want to lace up their boots because the first two days were like that and it's just no fun anymore. And you right. know, you have to be prepared for that no matter where you live. You know, even if even if you live out out east or lower elevation, you still you still need to push that envelope in inter- interval training in a in a work rest ratio to help with that. And, you know, I before I moved out here, that's what I did. And yes, the altitude was difficult for me. It's, it's still difficult now. I mean, to a certain degree, you're only, you're only going to acclimate so much, but the, the ability to recover from those interval workouts and high intensity is really going to help anyone coming out West to hunt. And, and that, that is a big part of being able to sustain a hunt that is seven days, you know, cause a lot of guys that are coming out here, they're taking a week's worth of vacation and they're going to give it seven days. And you, you want to be able to put forth the same effort on day one as you do day seven, you know, mm-hmm. cause like I said, I, I'm, I'm probably the world's okayest hunter. And, and I usually don't find the elk until day six and, and mm-hmm. if you've been beaten feet for six days, you better have your mind together. You better have some sort of, of longevity in, in your in your body because it's usually when you're least prepared you find find those elk or find that deer. And and I've 
I've guided some people that simply didn't have the physical ability to get there anymore once once we found the elk and and that's that's a disservice you know i mean you if you're going to take the time out away from family off of work spend the money on the tags and you know to get yourself physically and mentally prepared to be able to enjoy all seven days Oh, a hundred percent. And so you, so that was another thing I was going to mention. So you do guide a little bit. I do. Yeah. I, um, I usually archery hunt myself and then I guide during rifle season. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. And is that primarily for elk or elk, elk and deer? And deer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you've dealt, you, you deal a lot with a lot of the same things that I deal with then. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been guiding most of the stuff I've guided is on these okay. planes. Um, but even at that, I think, you know, the misconception, you know, when I, we have a lot of hunters come out from the East mm-hmm. Coast and a lot of hunters come out from Texas and, they, you know, they think, oh, Eastern Plains, you know, I'm going to, you know, hop out of the truck and shoot yep. something, which, which, you know, does happen probably, I would say one out of 10 times maybe. Um, but, you know, that type of a thing, or maybe it's probably even less likely sure. than that. But, um, and so what ends up happening is, you know, we, we let's say we spot something and i'm like all right we're gonna have you know we're gonna have to crawl two three four hundred yards you know or yeah. something like that and you know a lot of guys i started noticing this probably about well 10 years ago i guess and you know i started thinking like man i gotta we gotta you know prepare these hunters or tell them look there is some physical exertion that that you know you're gonna have to overcome and being in good shape uh, you know, even if, even if it is, even if you are sitting in a blind, you know, there's n- never a, a downside to being in better shape as far as even, you know, being, uh, you know, having a lower resting heart rate and being able to hold the gun steady, yep. you know, type stuff. But, um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I guess, you know, that, that, that kind of brings up some more questions in my mind now. So what would you say, you know, the hunters that you work with, or even maybe even hunters that you guide and don't even guide, but in general, what would you say to people that, maybe haven't uh done a you know uh, a western elk hunt or a western you know high mountain mule deer type hunt what would you say the the limiting factors are in success from a physical standpoint and then uh you know one of the answers that i've uh you know people have been saying is they actually point straight to the the mental side the mental <laughs> toughness side of things but from a threat right so from and i i know we're going to get into that too um and that 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 seems to be popping up more than more than i mm-hmm. expected but uh yeah, maybe maybe talk about what's the low hanging fruit when it comes to physical performance with uh, the people that you've guided and maybe even just in general that you see out there. Low hanging fruit would be would be being very proficient with your weapon and not not off a bench, not at the shooting range, but I mean proficient. Being able to lay down on your pack or shoot from a tree, you know, real real situations when you have 30 seconds to make a shot count. Uh, I countless times I've, I've had people that just simply can't get ready that quickly. And that's what you have. You have 30 seconds and, and if you can't get set and solid and settle those crosshairs in that time period, then again, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. And that is, is low hanging fruit because you, you really need to, to shoot your rifle, your bow, your muzzle loader. Spend all summer shooting and getting proficient with that weapon because confidence in your shot means a lot. And if if your heart rate, 
is up and you can't settle those crosshairs, uh, it's going to be very difficult. And you don't want to wound an animal. And, and it, it hurts even more to miss an animal as well. Because out west, as you know, it's, it's not like animals are behind every tree. It's a lot of work. So, yeah. yes, be proficient with your weapon. And also, you know, just be able to walk. That I mean, have a good mm-hmm. pair of boots and be <laughs> able to walk. Uh, because you're going to do a lot of that here and, and, and we're not walking on pavement. I mean, everything's uneven. It's rocky. It, I mean, it, there's nothing easy about walking in these mountains and whatever, whatever you can do to get those legs and ankles strong, you know, the, that, that is the foundation of being able to get out there, you know, and, and, be able to shoot your weapon well and be able to get there. And physically, I think those are the two most important things when it comes to physical preparedness. You know, you hit on a, a point that I, I've been, you know, thinking a lot about. And even with my own, my own, just the, the fitness side of my business um, is, you know, that, that strength and, and skill mm-hmm. thing, right? So the first thing that you mentioned just now was the skill part. Right. And I think as, as strength and conditioning coaches, we get, I I know I do, I get so consumed with the physical performance piece. I'm like, wait, I still have to do the skill piece. So at times I find myself, you know, forgetting, not really forgetting, but not focusing on shooting my bow, shooting my gun as much time as I put into actual physical performance, you know? So I a hundred percent agree with you, especially, you know, as a guide, uh, guiding, you know, uh, you know, dozens of hunts a year is, is, is be people being able to just shoot different positions under, under, you know, a little bit of yeah stress after you maybe crawled or hiked, you know, miles. And, um, that, I think that we don't put enough, uh, I guess you have to be a guide for a little bit or, or have taken a lot of people out and you start realizing, wow, the, you know, shooting from a bench and, you know, uh, you know, with a, whatever, a vice or whatever kind of solid rest you have is really not that realistic at all. I mean, it's good to sight your weapon in like that, but you know, how often, well, you're never going to be in that position ever, you know, uh, when you're out uh, hunting. So, and that's, that's a thing I've, I, you know, I've tried to help our hunters prepare of you. You're like, look, get used to shooting off a stick, get used to shooting prone in all these variety of positions. And actually before you do that, maybe get your heart rate up by doing some push ups, some squats or whatever. Um, and you know, in a lot of, in a lot of times you have to have them go to a, a completely separate shooting range or out in a, in a public area, um, to be able to even do a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's probably, sometimes we can get too wrapped up in the physical preparation and forget about the skill. It's like, well, you, the, the hunt, actually the, the most important part of, or I should say gear is going to be your weapon. And, you know, and then you start working down from that, but no, I, I really, I'm really glad you brought that up, the skill part and then the, uh, the physical preparation part of it. All right. You there? I'm here. Yeah. All right. Sorry. We have, we're having some technical difficulties there again. So, um, so you heard the, gonna... everything I, I said, as far as the, you know, you mentioned the, the, the skill being the most important. I completely agree with that. And then, and then actually the physical part for sure. Um, so now let's, let's take a step beyond that. So after the, you know, as far as like specifically, you know, you mentioned walking, being able to walk in the mountains, 
maybe a little bit more uh, or a step even uh, down from that as far as the f- physical preparation goes. Gosh. Uh, so like uh, maybe like going to like endurance, you know, strength, power, that kind of stuff maybe. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, next, next to just simply being able to walk, you, you've got to have, you've got to have some leg strength. So whether, whether you're concentrating, you know, and have the ability to use, use a barbell and things like that, squats, deadlifts, uh, lunges, things like that are really going to help you navigate through the mountains, um, you know, and having, having good, strong hips, obviously when it comes to carrying a backpack on your back all day long or, or packing out, uh, an elk or a deer. I mean, you've got to have, you've got to have the strength to do that. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to getting there or getting out. So definitely needing the strength to do that. Gotcha. What would you, how would you set up a program? Let's just say for, and I'm saying this because you, you are, uh, are, and were a coach, yep. uh, as far as, you know, you're somebody that's very experienced in the mount, uh, mountain hunting. Um, and so what would you, how would you, or what would it maybe, uh, in general, a program look like from a, an intensity and volume standpoint and, a, and what kinds of movements would you recommend somebody that's maybe, I don't know, in their mid thirties or, uh, you know, that doesn't really have any major limitations as far as injuries go and restrictions. How would you set that, that program up, uh, for somebody that maybe is working out once or twice a week now that really doesn't have a whole lot of experience, um, with, with fitness or isn't a, you know, strength conditioning professional. Sure. Yeah. I, I would keep it simple. You know, um, I, I would focus on having a couple of days a week in which you're, you're doing those big movements like back squats and deadlifts. Uh, but also having, having some other things like wall balls, burpees, uh, as simple as a burpee is, it takes a lot of effort to get the body all the way flat on the ground and then vertical off the ground. Mm -hmm. So, um, being able to, to utilize the big muscle groups, but also throwing in, uh, some variation of full range of motion movements, like, like a burpee, like a, a wall ball, things like that, uh, to help incorporate both sides of that and working, working intervals, because I kind of look at it, look at it as mentally sort of going in the fire, you know, and, and, and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the more you do that, the, the easier it is to, to, to be there. And, uh, there's, there's many times throughout the day, throughout the hunt, the week, the month that, you know, I, I, I've got to, I got to keep going. And just because it's uncomfortable now hiking up this mountain, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn around and go home, you know? So, um, my, my ability to tolerate those things are going to, going to help out a lot. So, mm-hmm helping, helping someone build. So have good range of motion and being able to sustain in those, those simulated environments is going to be key. Mm -hmm. So in that, that brings up, I guess the next point or next topic would be mental toughness, right? So developing that 
one way of developing that is through physical physical conditioning. So mm-hmm. being able to allow your body to adapt to all the different types of physical training that you're doing will obviously strengthen your mind and, and those types of things. And then another thing is, you know, as far as the hunt itself goes, where would you see the application or how would you help somebody to develop that mental toughness that uh, goes into the actual hunt? You know, so you have the physical part of it yeah. um, and, and being comfortable or, or beginning to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. But what about just that mental toughness part? And I know it's a tough one because it's a topic that, you know, really smart scientists and all these different people talk about. But what would you say as far as you go, how, how have you developed your mental toughness over the years when it comes to some really difficult hunts, you know, especially, you know, elk hunts and mule deer hunts up in the mountains? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, and, and one of the things that I do that any, anyone can do just as easily, um, I, I put myself in uncomfortable positions, situations when it comes to shooting. Uh, so I'll just touch on that a minute. You know, we talked about being proficient with your weapon and knowing, knowing your range under duress, right? So if I'm, if I'm just completely calm, no pressure on me whatsoever, I can shoot. I know I can effectively shoot 40 or 50 yards. Well, if I'm under stress running up a mountain or, or what have you, I know that my effective range is, is now shorter because of that stress. So if I can put myself in similar situations like that with 3D tournaments, shooting with strangers, going out to uh, bigger venues to shoot, those things add pressure to you mentally. And you'll find that you shoot differently under those situations. So, so that, that mental aspect of, forcing yourself into different environments and, and shooting and getting comfortable with that is a big part of, of the mental side, because I've seen people completely fall apart when it comes to making a shout count, a shot count. Mm -hmm. And if you're not mentally prepared for that situation, then it's, it's going to be very difficult and you'll end up missing or wounding an animal and nobody wants that. So, Number one, put your, put yourself in those situations and those environments to emulate some stress on you under the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to uh, just overall mental, you, when, when you prepare throughout the summer, working out, going on hikes, any of that stuff, you, you simply can't cut yourself short because every, every time you listen to that little voice in your head, that says, I don't want to get up this morning to work out, or it's too hot outside, or it's too cold outside, whatever the case may be, every, every time you give in to that, it makes it that much easier to change your plans, mm-hmm. right? Everyone, everyone has big plans day one, day two, we're going to go here, we're going to go there. But, you know, when, when the go gets tough, plans, plans get altered. You know, and, and that's not always the best thing when it comes to being successful in the mountains. So staying, staying with your, your workout regimen on, you know, your times, your, your days, whatever that is, don't, don't cut yourself short because all that's doing is, is making it easier for you to say, I'm not going to go to that next ridge 
or we're not going to hunt two more days. You know, those, those things make a big difference. And it's, it's those times that could, could very well make the difference between finding those elk or those deer and being successful. Mm -hmm. So having just knowing simply that you're not going to cut yourself short, cut a workout short, skip a workout, not getting into that habit is simply going to help you when you're out in the mountains by yourself or, or with, with a buddy and, you know, you haven't seen an animal for three days and you're just hiking your tail off, you know, that's, that's where that mental fortitude comes into play. Man, I can't, we're so much on the same page with all that. And it's, that's, it's a lot of stuff I've been thinking about a lot since we started this podcast is, you know, and I've, I've been so fortunate to be, be around, I've been around so many just great hunters and um, even, you know, I guess to make a point about that, you know, most people see the hunters they see on television and social media and stuff like that. And, you know, so the, the thing, the funny thing is, is like, and I know, you know, this variety of reasons, the best hunters out there aren't, you know, most of them that I know are not, you know, on social media, they're not on videos they're not on a lot of that stuff. It's no. just um, it's something they've decided and you're, you're one of them. And, you know, my, like my, some people in my family and, um, and some friends of mine, it's like the, these guys, I, I mean, I would put them against, like, up against any hunter that you see on television. I'm not taking any away, anything away from the people. That sure. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, because there, there is definitely a, a, another skill when you have cameras around you and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, so but uh, I guess, you know, to your point with all that, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in what you just talked about. The <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, and it's the side I've been mostly consumed with, I guess, you know, for the psychology part of it for the past, uh, I guess, really the past couple of years. So most of the things that I read and study now have almost all to do with mental toughness, the mind. And, you know, because, you, you know, to get physically better, sometimes you have to wake up at four in the morning. And that, that might be the only time that you have during the day, especially if you have a family and you're sure. really big life and everything. Right. So, um, so overcoming that and, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with behavior change and things like that. But, you know, like you said, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations is, is really counterintuitive to, to everything that we know and do as humans. Right. So, sure. um, I am, I am so much for, you know, when people, you know, they talk about, well, I just want to shoot on my own. I'm like, well, no. Put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and go enter a, a 3D shoot or, or yep. just even a regular target shoot. And what I do a lot is I, I just bet with friends. You know, we'll go to the shooting range and we'll have, a, you know, a $50 bet or something yep. on the course. Or, you know, you can come up with whatever, whatever bet you want, but there's something on the line all the time. And, you know, for me, it's me, the physical stuff is easy. Like the, the working out and the training, the physical training, that's yeah. the easy part for me. The hard part for me is standing there with five of my friends and we do the, and we do this with everything golf and, you know, whatever sport we're playing with, you know, home run, home run derby or something, whatever it is, is uh, there's always as much as I can, I want to try to put something on the line and you actually can get to the point where that's fun and, and, and things like that. But what happens to a lot of guys, especially in the hunting world is that the ego, it's the ego that gets involved in that. Yeah. Stuff. And that's what, and that's what affects you. And that's actually why a lot of women are, are actually a lot better marksmen because there's not as much ego involved in their, in their precision shooting, whether it's with a bow or with a, with a gun. It's and, true. 
It's you know, true. so I, I think that that's something that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, but you hunters out there that, you know, I know, I know we've all made a, uh, if you've been hunting long enough, you've had a really big animal in front of you and you've missed yep. more than likely, yep. uh, just give it, just give it time and it's going to happen eventually. Um, but that, I think that there, that there, that is such an important thing to, to, I guess, recognize you know, every experienced hunter out there has a really good uh, ability to calm their nerves down when they're staring at that that big animal in the crosshairs, or they have that pin on them. And you know, being able to to calm yourself down is something. I think it's it's probably you know ge- you know something that's built into some people you know from a genetic standpoint. But if it's not, it's something that you have to work on. And yeah. it's something that you can work on. So I think that was a that's a really good point to make, and um, I'm definitely going to emphasize that more and more in the podcast for sure. Randall, I'll tell you, years ago I used to go to a uh, sportsman show, and they used to have the pop up 3D targets. You know, mm-hmm. you pay you pay <laughs> I don't know 20 bucks, and yeah, you put the uh, they put a a uh, tree stand harness on you, and they put you up on this platform up above everyone and, and they're all everyone's watching you you know and god i was terrified of that thing but i i made myself do those that and those sorts of things because i knew that i sucked at that and <laughs> and the more that i could put myself in those situations really helped me out uh-huh. uh, and, and that and that to this day i still do things like that 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 helps me last last year was my first year uh, doing the TAC event, the total archery challenge here in Colorado. And, um, man, you want to talk about intimidating. Um, it, it, it just is, but, uh, knowing how you respond in those situations are, are key to knowing your effective shot range, knowing when you should shoot, when you shouldn't shoot, uh, all, all of that stuff comes into play as far as your, your mental ability and how you handle that stress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've just come to learn that when, when I decide I'm going to, I'm going to attempt a shot at an animal, whether it be an elk or a deer, I don't look at that animal as a whole. I look at where I'm going to shoot. I no longer look at that animal because I know that, that, that starts to increase my heart rate and I get more nervous. So I don't even look at the big picture. I look at where I'm, where I'm, shooting where, where I'm going to put my pin and that is it. Um, and, and that's just something I've learned myself and how I handle that stress and what to do and, and how to be proficient with my weapon. Yes. So I want everybody to, uh, stop here and think about this for a second. So the, the, the physical part and the mental part, I think a good way to look at it is, all right, be self-aware enough to realize, all right, if you're already in an amazing shape, that may mean that you spend more time on this mental side that we're talking about as far as marksmanship goes. If you're not as in greatest shape, and I think maybe you can look at the hunt itself, right? What kind of hunt am I going out that kind of stuff? But, but some things to think about are, are you a great shot? Number one, are you a great shot under stress? Yep. You know, and, and then maybe even a, a distant second would be your physical conditioning, which essentially is what this podcast is m- mainly for. But as we evolve, I think what I see happening is more of, of those things, you know, 
being kind of together in a lot of ways. Um, no, I, I really appreciate you talking about that. So let's, yeah, yeah let's change gears a little bit. Um, yep. And so something I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, if, uh, we'll talk about the first one, which is uh, if you, you probably have a number of them, but your uh, tell us about your hardest hunt, maybe physically and or mentally take us mm-hmm. through it. You know, my, my hardest hunt, and I've had a bunch of them, but my hardest hunt was this past season, matter of fact. Um, and it was just a little different for me. I, I used all of my points to draw a good tag here in Colorado for archery elk. So I had a lot of points dedicated to the hunt. I have, I, at the time I had a one-year-old son at home. Uh, so just, just my wife and my wife and I and my son, we don't have any family here. So, you know, there's those hardships. And I was out there by myself above tree line for, for a total of 18 days before I was successful. Um, I, I had to change my tactics several times to, to be able to ultimately be successful, uh, you know, during, during the hunt, but being out there by myself in, in some terrible weather at times and other times not seeing any animals. Uh, I, I was really doubting myself a lot of times and physically, I, I think I was, I was in pretty good shape. I was certainly getting burned out after 18 days and ready to talk to a volleyball, but, um, you, you know, Wilson? Wilson. <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely going down that rabbit hole. Um, but it, it was a challenge, both both mentally, physically. And, uh, you know, it, it it tested me in ways that that I hadn't quite been tested before, you know, and and um, ultimately uh, I ended up shooting an elk about five miles from the nearest road. And uh, I had some real good friends, fortunately that came to help me because, uh, by myself getting a mature bull out of there at five miles would have probably taken me four to five days. Um, so without that help, it would have been a whole new level of hurt. Um, but so let's, let's do this. Take us through, um, 18 days. I mean, that's a, that's a hunt. <laughs> so, um, take us through, yeah the maybe what you were doing before the hunt so you drew you drew the tag you know the yep. area you you, you yep. start talking you start i'm assuming you start uh you know if you already know the area obviously you're not going to do as much um i mean i guess you're probably still going to do some a lot of scouting either way i did i but did talk, yep. t- talk about things like all right how much here's the thing that i think a lot of people don't understand is how much time that people, really good hunters, put in. Like, let's say you get. So, for, I'll tell you what I do, for example. So, if I draw, a, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a special tag, but I'm literally once I once I know I have a tag, I'm up putting up trail cams. I'm I'm usually shed hunting, you know, just as a. a mm-hmm. I enjoy doing more than anything, but mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll do that. But at the same time. Uh, look at look for sign you know just kind of getting more in tune with where I'm going to be hunting and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff I possibly can to understand where the elk or whatever I'm hunting is going to be and by the time season opens I have I almost know exactly where they're going to be and sure and what I want to do as far as strategy goes 
Um, and it's, it's really a process. If I have two days during the week, I'm, that's what I'm going to be doing because that's the most important thing once the fall comes. Right. So take yep. us through kind of that, that process leading up to that crazy hunt that you're talking about. And then right. talk about, uh, I guess, kind of take the listeners into your mind from the beginning of the hunt. And I can't imagine you, you didn't expect to be out there that long. So no, no. Uh, wrap that's probably that was probably part of the thing too but um this past this past uh september but take us through that whole process if you don't mind maybe in detail to really give the listeners a feeling of what it was really like the whole time so when i first drew that tag um like like you said i i started scouting i actually started scouting online a lot to to sort of narrow down plan A, B, and C, at least, possibly D. Uh, Because like I said, you know, a hunt never goes like you envision it. Um, And and I'll just start by saying, just because you're spending a bunch of points on a, on a, what should be a good tag, um, isn't, isn't a freebie. And I can attest to that. So you better be prepared, right? So I narrowed down uh, several areas that I, I liked based on, you know, w- what I saw habitat wise and distance from any roads whatsoever. And then, um, I spent, I spent that summer going out there and familiarizing myself with, with what that looks like in real life, because you can look at maps all day, but once you get out there, those mountains are quite a bit bigger than uh, what those topo lines say. Right. So it's it's good to get out there and familiarize yourself with with the area. And I also, you know, I I, I try to look at an area from the standpoint of where do the where do the animals like to be and where do the animals go when there's pressure. So and and knowing that really really helped me because Plan A and Plan B were good, but they were, they were good for other people as well. And I ran into some other hunters and, uh, I could have gotten discouraged then and, and packed my bags and, and headed home. But I kept going to some of these different areas that I checked out. And, you know, unfortunately those areas get harder and harder to get into because they are more rugged and, and just by nature harder to get to and that's where the animals go as the season progresses and that's so Clint, i'm gonna can i stop you real quick yeah. as far as from a like let's say in a given week how much time on that particular hunt are you spending not just shooting and working out but like uh you know online you know trying to do everything you possibly can to increase your 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 uh, chances for success during your hunt how many hours would you say you put in like in general in a given week, like during that process up to the hunt? I'd say 10 hours a day, at least. I mean, thank 10 you. hours a week. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cause yeah. I say that because there are a lot of hunters that I think they're like, well, you know, I maybe an hour, you know, it's like, no, no. actually it's not <laughs> like, no. and you know, so especially, you know, with obviously with the type of hunt, you know, if you're waiting for years for a certain tag, you're, you're, you're apt to be a little bit more, obviously put more time into it, but yeah. I think it's important to help people understand like, so 10 hours a week, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a significant amount of time to help yourself prepare for the hunt. So anyway, sorry to catch yeah. you off. You can go, keep going. Yeah, no, I make a lot of phone calls. I, I, I 
I do it all. You know, I, I speak to biologists. I, I call lots of different people. Um, I like to know where recreational riders like to be. Where do people recreate? I mean, uh, there's a lot that comes into play with uh, knowing your area and not, not just knowing where the animals are because you know, animals don't animals don't distinguish what type of pressure it is, whether you're a hunter or a hiker or, uh, you know, riding ATVs. I mean, it's all the same to, to elk and deer, Mm -hmm. um, more so elk, but you know, pressure is pressure to those animals and knowing where that comes from and where people go is, is a big key to finding animals because, uh, the last thing you want to do is, is be in an area and, and some, dirt bike rider comes ripping through the trail right there next to you and you had no idea. Um, and that can happen. Uh, certainly you gotta be prepared for that and, and you can't mentally check out if, and when that does happen, but, uh, you know, anything you can do to help mitigate that, those, those, those events, then that's, that's even better, which is why I say, you know, three to five miles from any road or trail. Um, because, your your hunters your your recreationalists they're going to be on any trail that's out there um so it's going to be key to get away from that so what let's take so uh take us through the hunt then so you uh you you know you obviously it sounds like you got some kind of a spike camp set up and then yep um i mean 18 days are you are you seeing stuff are you um you know passing up on certain you know elk are you using a call or how, how as far as as far as a strategy standpoint are you doing that Strategy wise, yeah, I I, uh, I ran into elk frequently, but I also ran into hunters frequently, and I, I really didn't didn't want to compete with that because I like I like to take my time working an elk properly, getting getting the wind right, and not trying to force force the the opportunity, if you will, mm-hmm. and so you know, yes, I, I was you know, earlier in the season, I was, I was calling and working the wind and doing those things, but I was also running into other hunters as well. And ultimately as the season got later on, those, those elk really started to build in larger herd numbers and it was getting more difficult to call a mature bull away from the herd. As you know, as you get towards the end of September. So my tactics were, had to change. I, I really stopped, stopped calling, um, for the most part, I, I would, I would sometimes put out a location call because, you know, elk, if they're not threatened, they'll, they'll answer back on a location, on a location call. Mm-hmm. But, uh, towards the end of September, I was, I was really ambushing and, and trying to get in the, get into position without making a sound because mm-hmm. a, those elk, those bulls are making a lot of noise, but they're not going to come over very easily um, with any type of calling because they already, they're already have, they already have the herd together. So there's no reason to leave them and come, come see you. Right. You know, so I had to change my tactics there and, and, you know, as much as I want to call an elk in and I've, I've called a bunch in, um, that's just what had to be done to, to be successful. Cause I had several, several occasions where bulls would come in silent, that come in downwind and not say anything. And, 
being solo, it's, it's very difficult, uh, to do that. Uh, your, your, your tactics have to be a little bit different when you're trying to do it all by yourself. So how many opportunities would you say you had, uh, at a shot before you ended up getting the elk that you got? Uh, four. Okay. Four. Which, Were those, which, go ahead. Sorry. No, which is, which is higher than normal. Uh, I, I normally get throughout the whole season over the counter, which is what I'd mainly do. I normally get one to two, sometimes three shot opportunities the entire season. Um, so it's not like, you know, every day it's like, well, let's just see what happens. It's, I mean, it's a lot of hiking for that opportunity. So you just, you just have to make it count. Right. So, so 18 days, take us, uh, up to, I guess the, the, the point where you, uh, well, obviously got a shot and what, what happened maybe right before that and all that. You know, what's funny is I was on the phone with Max, uh, and I was, I was, uh, you're like, I can't believe I might not get one. (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely a pity party. Yeah. And Max had some choice words for me. Um, and I was, (laughs) I was sitting there on the hillside. It was late morning. Uh, hadn't heard a bugle, hadn't seen an elk. And I was actually going, getting ready to head back to my spike camp when, uh, like moments after I hung up with Max, I, I heard a bull bugle on a, far distance ridge line and um i knew which way they were going based on on what they've done in previous days so i i made the hike up into the bowl where they were headed cut them off and uh found myself in the middle of the herd and and fortunately i was able to get a shot on the herd bowl and uh it was awesome so did you have, uh, I'm assuming you probably had a number of cows walk by you before you saw the bull or. Oh yeah. Yep. So, yep. so how, so what were your, what were your nerves like at that point? Well, I mean, then that's, and that's just kind of circling back to this whole thing, you know, uh, it was surreal. It really was surreal. I, I was hauling ass up there and I was keying off the sounds and I got up into the bowl and I was, I was basically where I wanted to get. And I, I kneel down and I'm looking around assessing the situation and I look up and there's three cows 30 yards from me. And they're just, they're just, uh, grazing on the grass and waiting for the other elk to come. And, uh, I, I just, I had to settle myself, com- just get my composure because there had to be six to eight bulls in the whole, the whole herd. And they were all going crazy. So, you know, it was, it was insane. Um, and just being able to to sit and wait until that opportunity happened. And, uh, you know, it, it just so happened the herd bull came and walked by broadside at 40 yards. I probably would have shot any of those bulls, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, day 18. Yeah. Um, but the, the cards just lined up, and uh, he walked right by at 40 yards. I stopped him with a cow call. And, uh, he was bugling when I stopped him and just made a, made a great broadside shot. That's freaking awesome, man. I, what would you like looking back on that? You know, you said that was the hardest hunt. What, what do you think made that? I think I know the answer, but what do you think that made the hardest, that the hardest hunt that you've ever had? Uh, probably my family. Yeah. Probably, probably my family, Randall, just, just simply because, I mean, this is our, 
this is our first kid and, and we don't have any help here. So my wife is kind of holding the fort down while I'm, while I'm out, I'm out playing in the woods, you know? And I mean, I, I was really starting to feel like, okay, you know, if I, if I can't get it done by now, then maybe I should just, just call it good. And, um, she was very encouraging and very helpful with that as well, which, you know, helps a lot, but, you know, I would say both a combination of, of just the, the mental side and physically of getting up every morning and getting dressed, lacing up those boots and making that hike up there, um, which, which is a grind. And uh, like I said, folks that come out here from, from out east that aren't used to it, usually by day three, they're ready to cash their chips in, you know, and um it, it just takes a toll on you and, and any way you can be prepared both physically and mentally for that, you're going to, ha- you're going to enjoy your, your trip that much more. I think, you know, Max mentioned the same, I asked him the same question and um, I can't remember what hunt he, he's talked about as far as his hardest hunt. Um, but he said, you know, that, that you're guilt, you feel guilty because you're, you know, he has a, a young one too. He and, does. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I just felt bad, you know, being up there and, that's, that's almost, that's a pressure in itself too. And I think any yeah. good person, you know, if you have a situation like that, it's going to feel a little guilty. I do. I mean, I, you know, even as a guide, I feel bad. This is part of my job in the fall. I feel bad. It's because I'm having so much fun doing it. I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and my wife, with her, yeah, and my wife's, my wife's at home with our kids, you know, and, you know, <laughs> know. Nuts. but, but I think I that, you know, and that's another thing I wanted to, you know, I like to bring up too is, look, you're doing this, you know, with a family, you know, and pretty much, you know, I'll get some, you know, I guess guys on that, that, you know, they're basically what we call, you know, I don't know, like, I don't like to call them professional hunters, but, uh, the, the, to me, a professional hunters are those guys in Africa, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. Guys that literally that's all they do all the time or like a, you know, native American or something like that. Um, Uh you know, for this, this, you know, for most of us, this is kind of a a hobby of some kind. And, um, You know, but uh, it's something that, you know, there, there's like this weird connection with hunters, you know, and I've I've been around some really close knit communities and, you know, the hunting community to me is is uh, there, there's nothing that I can really compare to it. Um, I know there's like arm like military units that that maybe are similar type the mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere. But, um, I, you know, I like to emphasize, you know, a guy like you and, you know, some of the people I've had on as well is like, look, you know, we're doing this. We have full-time jobs, you know, um, sometimes more than a full-time job. And, yeah. you know, it is, it is very, you know, one of the things that allows us to do this is, is having a really supportive uh, spouse or, or people around us to, to be able to do this, you know. So it's kind of a, for a lot of us, unless, you know, we're single and don't have a, a lot of responsibilities, is it's a team effort, you know. And, it um, is. It and, is that's a mental part in itself is like, all right, I'm up here. I I agreed with my wife, you know, I, you know, so you got to kind of get your, your mind in a place where it's like, all right, I got to try not to be guilty because that might affect my, that might affect my shooting, you know, type thing. A hundred percent. It 100% does. And uh, spending that, spending that quality time throughout the summer, doing those things together as a family, let, you know, sending your wife out for a girl's trip weekend. I mean, those things all help. And, uh, you know, she knows how passionate I am about, about hunting and the outdoors and, and that's great and all, but I, I also want to make sure I repay that favor of, of her being so supportive and, and it certainly helps a lot. 
Oh man, I, I like that, that. I think you're. This is talking to me as much as probably anybody listening to. <laughs> like you know, yeah, you know, for real. It's like you know, it's set true. yourself up in a position, um, and that's that's a whole concept in itself. You know, I played college baseball, and um, because baseball is really, I think Augie Garrido. I, I read this. Uh, so Augie Garrido, if the listeners don't know, was uh, I think until recently he was the winningest coach in Division One baseball, uh, college baseball history. Mm-hmm. He had a quote that said uh, he was a coach at the University of Texas, and he ha- he said a quote that baseball is a metaphor for life in a lot of ways. And it's, I think a lot of it's because you do experience a lot of failure in baseball, and um, you know you you have to you know to me to to get to the highest levels of baseball, you really you have no choice to but to be, but to be mentally tough. Uh, to a certain degree you know but I remember my coaches and I I happen to have some really good baseball coaches uh, that I I grew up with and even in college and stuff and they always talked about and I didn't really grasp the concept until later in life but they always talked about with hitting you know you gotta we're just trying to put ourselves in a position the best position possible to increase our chances for success you know so there's all these things that have to happen in order to put yourself in a position to increase your chances. And even at that doesn't mean you're going to be successful doing it. Correct. But yeah. So, and you know, when it comes to having a, you know, supportive spouse and all that kind of stuff, that's, you have to put work in to do that even. Right. So like you said, you know, yep. your, uh, your wife understands that, you know, you really enjoy hunting and, you know, so doing the things in preparation for that part of it, not just with your physical conditioning and, all the things that you personally try to do to, to become a better hunter, but all the stuff around you, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and I, you know, and some people, obviously they're not going to have as supportive uh, people around them as others and other situations. And, you know, when I had my dad on the last thing he, you know, he mentioned is like, you know, uh, you know, don't get so consumed, you know, for us, obviously what we're talking about hunting is you can, you can lose, you know, you can lose your family, you know, some people, yeah. You know, yeah. at the high, you know, uh, you know, at the highest levels of the hunting space. I mean, they've they've lost everything because they've been a little bit too crazy about it. And I yeah. I think that we can understand that. You know, I don't yeah. think everybody else can, but um, I think that that's a that's a really good point that you break as far as you know looking at the big picture and you know what what truly is really the most important thing to you and and making sure that you're manage or thinking about managing that, especially if you haven't thought about that yet. Yeah, um, it all it all goes into the success part of it. Yeah, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a spouse and and a and a healthy relationship and and kids, um, you you better have you better have all that in check, you know. And and just um, it, it's not something that that comes easy by any means, you know. I mean, it's something that that uh, you have to work on. But yeah. ultimately, you know, not only not only getting to spend quality time, but you know, it, it certainly helps come hunting season. Uh, to know that you have a supportive spouse when, when you're out doing that. A hundred percent. And, you know, yeah. uh, I'll, uh, I'm, uh, we'll get off here in a minute and put a pin in it. But uh, I think, you know, I, I've turned in, I don't know how many tags before, like a day or two before the season starts yeah. that I drew because I'm like, you know what? I, the situation isn't, isn't the best at home. Like, or uh-huh. the, it isn't is conducive at home right now. And, yep. you know, I've, I've, I've done that I, I, with elk. I think I've done that like four times now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll figure it out later. Cause I, there was one year I drew a bighorn. I drew a, a elk tag. I've been sitting on for 20 plus years, a bear oh tag. Gosh. I've been sitting, like, I drew all these 
these uh these tags in one year and or, or, you know my wife was she was going to be eight months pregnant or whatever oh. you know oh. and it was like all right well i'm going to turn all these tags in i can't turn the bighorn tag in but no. you know I'll, no. I'll do that no. you know and it, you know i could have i could have just spent three months in the woods and you know yeah. but i would have been divorced after that but yeah uh, you yeah. know so i think that uh you know that's i guess that's kind of on the the, the extreme level but um, no, i'm really i'm really happy you brought that up so sure um, yep Anyway, Absolutely. so uh, I, uh, I guess before we get off here, I'd like to, because yeah. I want to be uh, uh, mindful of your time and everything, but what would you say, uh, you know, maybe maybe the, maybe some we haven't covered during the, the conversation today, and I would I would really like to have you on again um, yeah. at some point, but, yeah. you know, as far as uh, maybe a question I haven't asked, uh, you know, you knowing the kind of the point of the podcast uh, whether it's a physical, mental thing, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, anything that you might want to leave the the listeners with as far as uh, any of that goes? You know, um, there's a lot of new hunters out these days. Um, like, like you mentioned, um, hunting seems to be what football used to be back in the day. Um, right. And for anyone that's just really trying to cut their teeth on Western hunting, uh, it's, it's always, it's always going to be better if you put in some, some effort in research, uh, prior to asking a question as far as, you know, is this a good unit or is that a good unit or where, where are the elk or the deer and that don't, don't go on social media and just ask blanket questions like that. Um, do, do your due diligence, do some research on your own. That way, when you make that phone call to that biologist or whoever that may be, and you name off specific drainages, specific units, and ask those questions, they'll give you the respect and tell you what's going on in that area. But if you, if you make a Facebook post or, or call a wildlife biologist and say, hey, where's the best place to find elk, you're just not going to get the type of feedback that you want. So do yourself do yourself some justice and spend some time researching uh, those questions yourself first and educate yourself about what you're looking for. And then you're going to find people are more willing to help you if they know that you've put in the time to ask those questions. Awesome. I think, gosh, that's a, that's a really good thing to leave everybody with. I, I just call them lazy questions, yep. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, asking, you know, pretend like, I don't know. I mean, if you think about as much experience as you had as I've had in hunting, you know, it's almost like the, you know, like compared to like, what would you, how would you ask your physician about something, you know, or, or yeah. something like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a really good point to, to leave people with. And I just, I mean, I usually just don't respond to stuff like that. I uh, yeah. I, I hardly do as well, but yeah. I see it a lot and it. And yes. if there's one thing that, that anyone can do very easily is just spend a little time on your own to, to research and then ask some specific questions. hundred percent. Yep. Um, well, man, I guess, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta get to a meeting right now, but, uh, I yeah. really appreciate you hopping on here and For uh, sure. really, really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise, Randall. Yeah, man. So hope you have a good rest of your day and I'll be in touch. You too. Let's keep in touch, bud. Thanks Clint. Yeah, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you guys enjoy that episode as much as I did recording it. Uh, man, that was a good episode. A lot of really great nuggets in there. 
uh, as far as strategies with both hunting and fitness, uh, mental toughness, um, you know, some really good ideas as far as uh, how to increase stress while you're shooting. And just because you're a good shot at a target doesn't mean you're a good shot when you have that big buck or that big bull in front of you. So anyway, Clint, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hope you have it again and hope all the rest of you that listened to this episode enjoyed it. And if you have any questions for me uh, or Mike regarding fitness or anything that we talked about during any of the podcasts, uh, feel free to reach out. Later.